But you know, seriously, I'm so thankful. Jenny is my cousin, and I think most everybody knows that. And I love her so much. And when she first came, I came first to the assembly back in 1979. That shows my age. But anyway, in 1979, and then it was shortly thereafter that Mike and Ginny came and Heather and Jessica. And I don't even think Jessica was even born yet. She wasn't. And so I thank God for for the family. And it's such a blessing. And that's a great song. When Jesus makes a promise, he makes it to you personally. He makes it to me personally. We can count on him. We know he's there. He lives inside of us. He leads our lives. He's the best. If you'll turn in your Bibles this morning to the 8th chapter of Acts, we're going to refer to a few verses in Acts chapters 8 and 9 today. We won't cover the whole course chapters. There's a lot there, but we're going to refer to some verses in, in in this chapter. So if you keep your Bible open there, that'll be great. Shall we just look to the Lord in a word of prayer this morning? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for another Sunday morning. We thank you that we can gather together, Lord, and worship you and remember you. We thank you that we can have scripture memory class and Sunday school and and now have the message from the word of God. Lord, we're so privileged. We're so blessed as your people. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you for your power. Lord, we can't live a moment, not even a second without you. And we just pray that you'll be with us today. Please guide us by the Holy Spirit. Please hide me behind the cross, Lord. And we pray that your word would go forward today and touch lives. Impact us, Lord. Change us. Help us to go through the doors different than we came in. Help us to be joyful and encouraged and convicted and challenged today by your word. We ask this now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. You know, there's two major components to the Christian life. Two of many, but two major ones. And they're found in the song that we sang, Trust and Obey. Another word for trust is faith. And when you take faith and you take obedience, it leads to blessing. Blessing in our lives and blessing to those around us. You know, I've never been that great in math, but that's one math problem I like. Faith plus obedience equals blessing. Simple, easy, but very challenging. That's what's so great about the Bible. The Bible is not a complicated book. God made it easy enough for a little child to understand. And yet so deep that even the most godly, aged saint can find the truth in it. And that's why God's word is so beautiful and so wonderful for our lives. You know, the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The Lord Jesus also said with regard to obedience, if you love me, keep my commandments. Or if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Yes, it's a great, great thing. And I found a story about two five-year-olds, one little girl who illustrates faith and one little boy who illustrates obedience. And I think you'll enjoy these stories. Well, the first one is told of a Houston pastor by the name of John Bazango, who describes his little daughter, Melody Jan, five years old. One day she came to him while he was in his study reading and asked for a dollhouse. So he just nodded. We've all been there, right? If you're parents, you have. He just nodded and promised to build her one, then went back to reading his book. Soon he glanced out the window 
and saw her little arms filled with dishes, toys, and dolls, making trip after trip until she had a great pile of playthings in the yard. He asked his wife, what is Melody Jan doing? Oh, you promised to build her a dollhouse, and she believes you. She's just getting ready for it. You would have thought I'd been hit by an atom bomb, he said. He threw aside his book, raced to the lumber yard, gathered all the wood he could and all the supplies he could, and came back and built his little daughter a dollhouse. And he said later, why did I respond? Because I wanted to? No. Because she deserved it? No. Her daddy had given his word. And she believed it and acted upon it. When I saw her faith, nothing could keep me from carrying out my word. We're his children. Just like that song, I have given you the promise. And when God promises us something, we can count on it. And we need to have that childlike faith like this little girl had. If God makes us a promise, we need to start getting ready for it. If we pray, we need to believe God will answer. That's the kind of faith he wants us to have. But so many times our faith is weak. Our faith is small. And God needs to develop that faith like muscles. And he develops it by stretching it and testing it. And we thank God for it. So that's the story of a little four-year-old, five-year-old girl that taught her dad, the pastor, a lesson about faith. And we all need to have that. The second story is told of a Whitcliffe missionary by the name of Aretta Loving and her five-year-old neighbor, Jimmy. Now, he could also be known as Timmy, but that's another story. (laughs) Anyway, one day she was washing her breakfast dishes when she saw Jimmy heading straight toward the back porch. She had just finished painting the back porch handrails, and she was proud of her work. Come around to the front door, Jimmy, she shouted. There's wet paint on the porch rails. Oh, I'll be careful, Jimmy replied, not turning from his path. No, Jimmy, don't come up the steps, Aretta shouted, knowing of Jimmy's tendency to mess things up. I'll be careful, he said again, by now dangerously close to the steps. Jimmy, stop, Aretta shouted. I don't want carefulness. I want obedience. Isn't that wonderful? At that moment, she thought of the verse from the days of King Saul. And she remembered Samuel's words to Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. How would Jimmy respond? She wondered. To her relief, he shouted back, all right, loving, I'll go around to the front door. He was the only one who called her by her last name, and it endeared him to her from the beginning. And as he turned around the house, Aretta thought to herself, how often am I like Saul or like Jimmy? Wanting to go my own way. I rationalize. Oh, I'll be careful, Lord. The Lord doesn't want carefulness. He wants obedience. Can we not see ourselves in that light this morning? So many times we want to do it our way. We think we've got it figured out. We think we can make it ourselves. We can do it on our plan. But God says, stop, Dean. Stop, Jimmy. Stop, Carl. Obey. And that's all he asks us to do. It's very simple. Obedience is simple. But we complicate it. We make it hard by our self-will. Self-will has to be crucified every day. And so when we have this kind of faith linked with this kind of obedience, we can't help but be blessed. And all those around us will be blessed as well. The title of our message is three words today. Arise and go. It's found in the book of Acts chapters 8 and 9. 
And interestingly enough, it's also found many times in the Old Testament as well. And we're going to speak today about three men. The first one is Philip the Evangelist, found in chapter 8. The second one is Saul of Tarsus, who later had his name changed to Paul in chapter 9. And the third one is a man named Ananias, a great Christian in the church at Damascus. Fourteen times this expression is used in the Bible. Many of them in the Old Testament, some in the New Testament. But I love it because it shows the the kind of faith and obedience we need to have. He tells each one of these men here, arise and go. What do we do? Sometimes we sit and stay. When God wants us to go, we need to go. If he tells us what to do, we need to act on it. We need to have that kind of faith and the Lord will bless our lives. He spoke these words to Jacob and to Moses and to Jeremiah and to our friend Jonah. And you know that our friend Jonah is the only one who did not respond in obedience to those words. He's the only one. Whenever God spoke, arise and go, they arose and went, except for Jonah. In fact, Jonah did the opposite. He arose all right, but he didn't go. He went the other way. And sometimes we can have that in our Christian life. We just say, Lord, I'm not going to do it. That's a scary place to be in. If the Lord tells you to do something and you know it's clear, you've read it in the word, you've had it in prayer confirmed, you've gone for counsel, you know what God's will is, but you're not willing to do it. You say like like a child, I'm not going to do it. And the Lord has to do what? He has to spank us. The Lord doesn't like to spank us, just like a parent doesn't like to spank his child. But he knows we need that chastening. We need that discipline in our lives. I need it so badly. And sometimes the Lord has to do that. But may the Lord help us today to have a faith plus obedience to lead to blessing for us and for others. Well, let's look at the first character who is in chapter 8. It's Philip. And it says in verse 4, Actually, it says in verse 9, but there was a certain man named Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, said, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries. And now notice verse 12. And when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. You know, Philip is a great character. Philip was one of the first deacons of the early church. He was one of the seven original deacons. He was also an evangelist, and he had seven daughters who were prophetesses. And it's a wonderful man. He was a wonderful man, a wonderful servant of the Lord. And through him, souls were being saved. There was revival everywhere. Things were going so well. It's just like you want to stay in that place. It's like a a quarterback in football. I love sports illustrations. See, Jeff? The quarterback who's hot. He goes back to pass complete. He throws another one, it's caught. He throws another one, a touchdown, right? He wants to stay in the game. Don't take me out, coach. I'm hot. I'm completing every pass. Well, imagine now, after all the blessing, all the revival that's going on there in Samaria, God says to him these words. He says, arise 
and go. That's what he says. Verse 20, it says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. Now imagine, God has just blessed him so much. He's in a revival. He's doing great things for the Lord. And he says, Arise and go south along the road that leads to Gaza. And it adds, This is desert. Have you ever been in the desert in your Christian life where things are dry? They're hot. They're difficult. The trials are just overwhelming. You say, Lord, how can I handle this? Lord, I don't understand it. The desert is not a pleasant place to be. But when God leads us to the desert, he also leads us to the oasis in the desert. And that's the beautiful thing. It's like the lady who wrote that that devotional book, Streams in the Desert. Because normally you don't think of water in the desert. It's a hot place. People die of thirst. But even wherever we go in our life, the Lord can give us the water that we need, the water of his word. We can be in trial and that strengthens us to keep going. And that's what he did with Philip. He says, go down to this desert road. Reminds me of the story when the Lord appeared to Abram and he said to him in chapter 12 of Genesis. Now, the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And Abram departed and he moved from there from a mountain east of Bethel and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Can you imagine Abram, who was known later as Abraham? He had everything set. He was the leader of his household, the leader of the clan. He had wealth and riches and he had his family all around him. He was comfortable. But out of his comfort, God asked him to arise and go, to leave that place and go to a land that I will show you. That is amazing. That's where faith and obedience really came in because God didn't tell him where he's going to go, the specific city he'd be in or what he'd be doing, where he would be living, what house he would have, what transportation he'd have or any of that. He just says, follow me. Go. And because he went, the Lord blessed his life. Because he had that faith and that obedience combined together, the Lord blessed him. And the Lord said in Hebrews 11:8 concerning this, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now, that's faith. Lord, lead me wherever you want me to go. That's where they have the term blind faith. But it's really not a blind faith because we're putting our faith in the Lord and in his word. And we take his hand and we know that he will lead us to the promised land. And that's what he's going to do in our lives for us. You know, I really like these cars nowadays that have these GPS systems. You know, I've always been one that got lost. I think it runs in my blood and I can get lost anywhere. I can get but I'm actually pretty good in San Luis Obispo. I'm worse than some of the other cities like San Jose. I have a reputation. Livermore. I'm sorry, but I get lost very badly in Livermore. But, you know, Abraham didn't need the GPS because he had God. He didn't need a map or a a GPS or a chart or anything like that. When God leads your life, he will enable you to do his will and he'll give you the best, the best of everything. Sometimes we don't understand it. Lord, why are you sending me to the desert? Because he has a purpose for it. Why did you give me this job, Lord? Why did you give me this home? Why did this happen to me? Because the Lord's leading our lives. And we can thank him for that. And that's where faith and obedience really comes into play. We don't have to understand it. 
We don't have to know all the answers, but we need to trust the one who has all the answers and knows all things. The poet once said, now let me step out by faith and obey, not knowing the journey, not knowing the way, until by the glimpse of his glory above, I'm led forth from Calvary to walk in his love. May the Lord encourage us today to be like Philip. And you know, when God had a purpose for this, we see it now because later in the chapter here, we see that Philip saw the reason why he was to go. And he met a eunuch who was a high official of Candace. We have Candace here. High official of Candace of the Ethiopian. She was a queen. And so he was a high official and he had gone to Jerusalem because he wanted to find out about the true God. And he heard some wonderful things, but he didn't understand it. And he was reading from the 53rd chapter of Isaiah and he wasn't understanding it. And then Philip comes up to him and says, do you understand in verse 30 what you are reading? And he looks up and he says, how can I unless someone guides me? And so Philip comes up, he takes the very passage he was reading and he explains to him that this applies to Jesus. And he gives him the gospel. He gets saved. He gets baptized. And the wonderful thing is he goes back to Ethiopia carrying the gospel message. All because Philip was obedient. Philip had the faith and he had the obedience that when the Lord said, arise and go, he did it. He didn't have to understand. He did it. And then he saw the purpose for what he had come for. He won that man to Christ. That man went home and told his relatives, his family, his friends. The gospel went to Ethiopia. If we're obedient, the blessing will not only be for us, but it'll be for all those around us. And may God encourage us to be that way. Yes, it's not an easy road. That road to Gaza was desert road. It was a hard road, but it was a good road because the Lord had a purpose for it. And when we have that kind of faith, the Lord will bless us. But sometimes we're stubborn like a mule. We don't want to do it. Other times we're impulsive. We want to do our own way. We want to go our own way. And the Lord has to direct us in either case. But I love that story of Philip because it so illustrates the faith and obedience we need to have. Think about that. If he had not gone, this Ethiopian would not have been saved. The people of Ethiopia would have not been reached. Now, God would have raised up somebody else. And sometimes that happens. If we're not willing to do something, the Lord says, Dean, I want you to do it. And I say, Lord, I don't want to do it. What will the Lord do? I'll lose a blessing and the Lord will pick somebody else to use to serve him. And that's the way the Lord works. It's a principle of scripture. So we don't want to lose the blessing. If God says, arise and go, get up and go. And that's what he wants us to do. In the Old Testament, he gave them a pillar of fire by day and a I have a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day to show the Israelites when to go and where to go. We have it now clearly in the word of God by the Holy Spirit and he will show us. And when he shows us, we better do it. Secondly, we want to look at the story of Saul. And I love this conversion of Saul found in chapter nine. It says, then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as they journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. 
So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? The Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. The conversion of Saul is so exciting because here was a man who was right there when they stoned Stephen, the first martyr of the church. He held their coats. Here was a man who went to the high priest specifically to get orders from him to go and persecute the Christians, to arrest them, to throw them into jail, even to murder them, even to kill them. Here was a man who was bent on destroying the church of Jesus Christ. That's what he was bent on doing. He had it in his mind. He had it. And he was going to do it. And then all of a sudden, the Lord just interfered in his life. And I love how it knocked him off his horse. He saw this bright light from heaven about noontime. Well, it's not a bright light. You're not going to see a bright light at noontime. And so he saw this special bright light that blinded him, knocked him off his horse. And Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he probably looked up and said, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, the one whom you're persecuting. He probably felt, I'm not persecuting you, but he was. Why was he persecuting Jesus? Because he was persecuting Jesus' people. And anybody that persecutes you, anybody that persecutes me, is persecuting Jesus himself. Because he takes it personally. And he loves us that much. And he wants us to have that kind of devotion and dedication to him. And so we see... That the Lord blinded him. And then Saul asked the question of the ages. A question that we should always ask ourselves, I think, every day, every morning. Lord, what would you want me to do? Look what he says there. He says it right there in this verse. So trembling and astonished, he said, Lord, verse 6, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. He doesn't say arise and go and it will be told you what you may want to do or what you should do. He says it will be told you what you must do. And that's what faith and obedience is. It's a must to. It's an obligation. It's a mandate from the Lord. He wants us to be obedient to him and to have this kind of faith. Yes, once the Lord said that to him, he arose in verse 8 from the ground with his eyes open and he saw no one and they led him by the hand. What an amazing thing. He was willing to go. He could have got, tried to get back on that horse blind as he was and tried to ride back to Jerusalem. No, I am going to obey Jesus because that's what the Lord Jesus had told him. His revelation that he received from the Savior on that road changed his life forever. No longer would he be a persecutor of the church. He will be a follower of the Lamb, a preacher, an apostle, a missionary. I mean, talk about a radical night and date change. I mean, going from a murderer and a persecutor to a lover of Christ and a servant of Christ. That's the change that God wants to make in our lives. And you may be here and you've never experienced that change in your life. Oh, you may have heard about Jesus. You may have been heard about the Bible. You know a little bit, but you've never been changed. He wants to change you today.
From the inside, he wants to change. He wants you to ask him into your life, just like Saul of Tarsus did here when he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? He wants you to receive him as your savior, to receive him as the Lord and boss of your life. Put him as the first place in your heart. Yes, he said, arise and go into the city and it shall be told you what you must do. I've read this passage many times over the years, but it just really hit me when it said what I must do, what I must do. And so that is really what it's all about. The Christian man and speaker Vance Hafner and writer said, you have not really learned a commandment until you have obeyed it. The church suffers today from Christians who know volumes more than they practice. I'm going to read that again because that's convicting. You have not really learned a commandment until you have obeyed it. The church suffers today from Christians who know more volumes more than they practice. It's amazing. You walk around today and you can see Christians. And of course, we have to do this in an animated fashion because it really wouldn't look this way. But if you had an animated Christian cartoon and you saw Christians this way, they would have huge heads and a little tiny heart and a little tiny body. Is that the way the Lord wants us to be? No. He wants us to have a huge heart. He wants the, the knowledge to filter down to the heart and result in action. Faith and obedience, that's where it comes from. That's why they say the, the distance from the, the head to the heart is 18 inches. Such a short distance. But we have a hard time doing that because he wants us to practice what we preach. Have you ever heard anybody say, well, I don't believe in Jesus because those Christians are hypocrites? They don't practice what they preach. They do this and they do that and they do the other thing. But the best thing to tell them is that's not the words of Jesus. Jesus wants you. He wants you to come to him. You can come to the church and not be a hypocrite. He doesn't want us to be hypocritical. He wants us to do his will. He wants us to take the knowledge we have and put it into practice. Or as our dear brother Mike Hyde, who's not here this morning, likes to say, where the rubber meets the road. Because people are watching us all the time, as we've always said. And we have to be obedient. We have to show that kind of faith. And when we do that, he will indeed bless us. Yes, the Lord has something great in store for Saul. And he's going to take him through it. You know, a lot of times the Lord says, take my hand and I will lead you through it. But we say, Lord, lead me around it. We say, Lord, lead me over it. Lord, lead me under it. But the Lord says, no, I'm going to lead you through it. Just like Jenny said in that song. Now, we didn't, we, I didn't tell Jenny what she was going to sing. Oh, we didn't even know. And he's going to lead us through it. Just like she sang in that song. You're going to shiver in the cold sometimes. You're going to have needs. You're going to have difficulties. He doesn't want to remove us from the difficulty. He wants to take us through the difficulty. And that's where the glory of the Lord comes from because he takes us through it. Are you going through a lot this morning in your life? Take Jesus' hand. He's going to take you through it. I love that poem, Footprints. I have it on my desk at work. I have one at home. It's so beautiful because this man, he's, he's walking and he sees the footprints and he's so happy and everything. And then he sees the two, two set, uh, one set of footprints and then uh, two sets of footprints, Jesus and him walking. And then well, all of a sudden he sees just one set of footprints and he says, Lord, he said, how could you have left me at that time? There's only one set of footprints. And that was a very difficult time in my life. I remember that trial. I remember that difficulty. And he said, my child, I would never leave you. That was the time I picked you up 
and I carried you in my arms. Haven't we all been there? Where he's picked us up right where we were, sorrowful, in agony and pain. We've all been there at one time or another. And he's carried us in his arms. And he's transported us to the place of peace and rest. And he said, here, this is how much I love you. It is amazing. The love that the Lord has for us. Can we not have the kind of faith in him and the kind of obedience that he wants us to have? If we do, we will indeed be blessed. Someone said, faith doesn't need to know all the details in advance. I like that. Faith does not need to know all the details in advance. Saul of Tarsus didn't need to know, but the Lord is going to show him. Look at verse 15. When he speaks to Ananias, he's going to tell him this. He said, go for he, that is Saul, is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. I think really sometimes if if the Lord was to, when we first got saved, lay our life out and show us everything in the beginning, I think we'd be scared off, wouldn't we? He'd show us the times we have to go through surgery and sickness and accidents and injuries and, and troubles at work and all these things. It would overwhelm us. So what does he do? He reveals his plan on a daily basis, one day at a time, just a little bit at a time. Because he knows Emily can only handle a little bit, right, Emily? That's like me. I can only handle it one day at a time. If I start trying to think about tomorrow at work, tomorrow at work at 8 o'clock, I'm going to be burdened. He doesn't want me to carry tomorrow's burdens today. He wants me to be trusting him and obeying him today. Thank God for that. So that's our second character. First character, Philip. Arise and go down that desert road to Gaza and win that Ethiopian eunuch to Christ. Secondly, he said the same thing to Saul. Arise and go. And he says, into the city and it shall be told you what you must do. Now he's going to speak to This man, Ananias, notice in verse 10, it says there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias and to him, the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias, that's you, coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Mission impossible. When he heard who it was that he was supposed to have met, he stopped right in his tracks. Notice in verse 13, it says, Ananias answered, he said, Lord, I've heard many things about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. He was so happy and he says, "Okay, what do you want me to do, Lord? Go talk to this man. Okay, I'm going. I'm there. I'm right with you. And, and put your hands on him. Okay, what's his name, Lord? Who is he? Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus? And they didn't have telephones. They didn't have computer. They didn't have internet in those days. But believe me, the word traveled fast from Jerusalem to Damascus that a killer's on the way. He is coming to kill the Christians. And so as soon as Ananias heard the name, Lord, do I have to? Kind of reminds me of an attorney sometimes when they ask the attorney to represent like one of these terrorists. 
That's a hard thing to do. Or a murderer. And you know that murderer is guilty, but they have to have a fair trial. And it's hard to do. And so when he heard that the man he was going to be meeting was Saul of Tarsus, I think a, a sweat started to pour down his face. I, thought, I think his heart started to race and pound. And he probably thought, this is going to be difficult. But you know what? He did it. He had the faith plus the obedience to go ahead and do it. And the Lord told him, as we've already read in verses 15 and 16, Saul is now saved. He's not the old man anymore. He's not the persecutor. He's not the murderer. But notice what he calls him. He is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the children of Israel and kings and all who are in authority. And he's going to suffer much for my name. I think Ananias at that point in his life realized this was a mission he had to do it. It wasn't going to be easy. It wasn't going to be convenient. It wasn't going to be desirable. But he was going to do it. And I really believe when we get to heaven, we'll find out that the Lord handpicked Ananias from all the Christians that were in Damascus. Out of all the people he could have chosen, he picked him. Why did he pick him? Because he knew he had the faith. He knew he had the obedience to do whatever God asked. Do you have that kind of faith? Do you have that kind of obedience that whatever the Lord asks, I always kind of laugh when some people say, will you do me a favor? You know, you ask them, will you do me a favor? And they say, what? Well, what does that mean? It means, okay, tell me what you want first and I'll decide whether I do it. Now, the better attitude is, will you do me a favor? Sure, what? tell me what you'd like me to do for you. That's where faith comes in. Now, we trust that the person will not ask us to do anything that's unreasonable, immoral, unethical. If it is, we don't do it. But if somebody needs a favor and we have the power to do it, we do it. And that's what Ananias had. He had this kind of faith to do God's will, even though it was going to be tough. It reminds me of the story of Jonah because the reason Jonah didn't want to go to those Ninevites is because they were Assyrians and they were murderers and they were enemies of Israel and they tortured the Israelites. And when the Lord sent him to the Ninevites, he says, no, I'm not, there. I'm not going to go there. Those people are bad people, wicked people. I'm not going to tell them about the Lord. So he got on the ship going the other way. And what did the Lord do? Brought a storm at sea and they tossed Jonah overboard and the great fish swallowed him up and the Lord dealt with him like he does with us and then spit him out right in front of Nineveh. Sometimes in our lives, the Lord has to chew us up and spit us out, if you want to put it that way. He has to swallow us up. He has to swallow our pride. He has to break our pride so that we do as well. And I say, thank you, Lord. It never, never is pleasant to go through discipline. It's never pleasant to have your pride broken and go through difficulties like that. But the Lord says, it's for your good. It's for your good. And when he does that, it's for God's glory as well. You know, it's an amazing thing because the name Ananias means Jehovah is gracious. Jehovah is gracious. And he was a gracious God and he chose Ananias because he knew Ananias as a gracious man, as a humble man, as a willing man, as a submissive man. That took a lot of faith. It really did because of who Saul of Tarsus was. But praise be to God, it was indeed a blessing. And now the rest of the story. Dr. Mel Unger in his Bible dictionary describes Ananias as a devout and honored Christian of Damascus. At first, he hesitated because of his knowledge of his former character and conduct. But assured of Saul's conversion and God's purpose concerning him, he consented. 
Isn't that a wonderful thing? He put his faith on the line and trusted God. And he was the first one to bring Saul his sight because he laid his hands on him. He was, Saul was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was baptized and Ananias prepared him a meal. Isn't that wonderful? He had a privilege, the great apostle Paul. Can you imagine later on in life, Ananias thinking back, I was there when he got saved. I was there when Saul was baptized. And now he's the great apostle Paul. And I would bet when we get to heaven, we'll find out that Paul never forgot it. I bet he never forgot Ananias. I bet he prayed for him every day. I bet he loved him. I bet he kept in contact with him whenever he could because Ananias had that kind of faith. When the Lord said, arise and go, though he was concerned, though it was tough, he went ahead and did it. And the blessing was unbelievable for him and for Saul and for all of us. Think what would the New Testament be like if we took out every book that Paul wrote? Now, yes, God would have rose up somebody else to do it. But praise be to God. He wrote so many wonderful letters to us. And tradition has it that this man, Ananias, went on to become the bishop of Damascus and was later martyred. Think of that. He was a bishop there and he was martyred for his faith. He loved the Lord more than he feared Saul. Do you love the Lord more than the thing that you fear? Sometimes the Lord allows things in our lives. He says, I know Dean's afraid of that. I know he's having a hard time with that. So I'm going to teach him a lesson through it. And that's what he does. But he does it in such a beautiful way that when we go through it, we say, thank you, Lord. I didn't think I could do that. I didn't think I could make it through that. But he's there with us every step of the way. So in conclusion, we've seen three men today. We've seen Philip. We've seen Paul, who was called Saul of Tarsus, and we have seen Ananias. In each case, the Lord spoke to them these words, arise and go. And in each case, they arose and they went. Though they had concerns, though they had issues with it sometimes, but they didn't complain, they didn't murmur, they didn't doubt, they did it. I like that expression Nike has, just do it, just do it. And that's what it comes to faith and obedience, just do it. Because so many times we talk about it, rationalize it, think about it. He doesn't say do it. Just like the lady said to Jimmy, just obey obedience. Don't be careful, just obey. And that's what the Lord wants us to do. So may the Lord encourage us today to not miss opportunities to obey him and serve him. Because those opportunities to have faith and obedience will lead to blessing in our workplace, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, people will see if we're obedient to the Lord, if we love the Lord, and if we have that kind of faith, and they will be drawn to us. That's where the real blessing will come. So our little math equation is really simple. You want to write it down or whatever, but it's faith plus obedience equals blessing for us and for everyone around us. May the Lord encourage us today. Shall we just close in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for these three lives that we have shared a little bit on today. Philip, Saul of Tarsus, who is known as Paul, and Ananias. Each one of them obeyed you, Lord. Each one did something very difficult, but they acted in faith. They stepped out in faith and obeyed you, Lord. And you blessed their lives and you blessed all those around them. Help us to have this kind of childlike faith to when you say it, Lord, we do it. And we are obedient to you in every way. 
Please be with us through the rest of this day and through this week. Help us to be obedient Christians, Lord, to have this kind of faith and help us to impact others in this world around us who have no hope. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that has never received you as their Lord and Savior, we pray that today will be the day to come up forward and ask you, Lord Jesus, into their lives. And we just commit the day to you now and pray that you will lead us according to your perfect plan and your perfect will. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.